Chapter 1 The month of March is a time of lions and lambs, and in California, the time of four-leaf mustard blooms, some claim are luckier than clover, certainly more resilient. No matter what the weather, freak snow and ice, brush fires, crackling drought, or pineapple express rains that drive homes down crumbling hillsides. Despite all that, Mother Nature can cast down from the heavens. Every year the mustard grows back. March Randolph Cantrell was named for the time of year she came into the world and had lived all of her life in a golden state. Native Californians are eminent beings who can recognize instinctively the color and stillness of earthquake weather and are never divided by that invisible latitude attitude that separates northern from southern. They understand the human geography of one whose first breath of air was in a land of gold rushes, gold hillsides, and golden bridges. A native can stand on the sandy spot where the biggest and deepest blue ocean in the world touches land, and know there are more hungry sharks behind them than in front of them. Californian native was just one of the many things that define March. Woman, daughter, artist, wife, mother, friend, businesswoman, now grandmother, a title that sounded too decrepit for a baby boomer who still wore string bikini underwear and listened to rock music. Growing up on the West Coast in the 1950s and 60s, March and her sister May were known as those Randolph girls with the strange springtime names. Back in Connecticut, where the Randolph family had deep roots, names like March and May were simple tradition, as appropriate as Birch and Rebecca, and not uncommon to girls with a great-aunt named Hester, who had pointed out during one family holiday, California is a fine place to live if you happen to be an orange. One bright blue day when March was eight, Someone called the Randolph girls California natives. So, with peacock feathers from her mother's vase sticking out of her ponytail, March stood at the medicine cabinet mirror and war-painted her face with blue and white tempera paint left over from vacation Bible school. For a few weeks during an incalescent and sullen August, she ran around with a rubber coat cheese tomahawk tucked into the waist of her seersucker shorts, speaking to everyone in bad Indian dialogue from an old black-and-white western. At night, in those deep, still, blue hours, the Randolph girls lay in bed with thoughts of secret crushes and dreams of grown-up lives. Her sister May had a passion for heartthrobs like Tab Hunter and James Dean. March dreamt about falling in love with someone like Cochise, a noble man with a big dream. That was 1958. Ten years later, she met him. A year after the summer of love, 1968 was filled with youthful dreamers fast becoming disillusioned. The sweet legacy of hate Ashbury has suddenly become hate.
Every night the broadcast news about Vietnam was too bleak to watch and too important to miss. In a single year, both Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Kennedy were gone. Coffeehouse talk and the underground presses compared recent events to history's anarchies. The city street corner disciples railed at the establishment, shaking their fists as they cried over the injustice of men killed here and overseas. At home, where it was supposed to be free and safe, someone was assassinating the country's heroes. Most people carried a silent, dark dread down to their bones, and the youth of San Francisco sought anything available to pull it away from a world so out of control they had to shout at it. March's father was only a single gentleman.